trust your intuition. And I think in order to do that, you need to have enough space in your day to, to allow that sort of emergent thinking to happen. You need to have room to, to hear what your, your sort of inner voices and values are saying. And so um, even if it's just something as simple as going for a walk, but, but not having headphones in, you know, not doing anything, not trying to multitask, not trying to, to be, you know, ultra optimized and efficient and filling every single minute of the day, but just giving yourself a little bit of space. I think a lot of clarity can come from those unstructured, unscheduled moments where you realize, you know, that thing that I've been spending time on, that's actually not the most important to me. It's something else. It kind of feels right. I'm able, able to kind of tap into that intuition and trust that intuition about what I want to be focused on. Mm. how's it guys so you know time is something that we all get lost in now and then and i'm sure you'll agree with me that as the world seemingly speeds up we feel like sometimes we don't have enough time to spend on the things that really matter and how do you prioritize your time you know given eight hours a day or 12 hours a day whatever your work day looks like Um, and so time really is our most valuable commodity to talk to us today about time and how to manage our time is the multiple number one best-selling author, John Zaratsky. John is a speaker and facilitator who has worked with companies including Netflix, Associated Bank, Caterpillar, Google, Schneider and Electric, Slack, Blue Bottle Coffee, 23andMe, Uber, Stripe, Nest, and many, many others. He has been a guest lecturer at Harvard University, the London School of Economics, and the University of Michigan. On top of all of this, his writing has been published in the Wall Street Journal, Wired, Fast Company, Harvard Business Review, and even Time Magazine. John's two books are Sprint and Make Time. The latter is the book that we're going to be focusing on today. And pay careful attention to the part of the episode where we give you some practical insights into how to best manage your time in order to be the most productive human being possible. This episode was also live streamed on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, guys. You can now catch all of our episodes broadcast live all over the internet, also on mattbrownshow.com. And a big thank you to all of you who sent in your questions and your interactive with our live show. And remember, guys, you can get access to the latest live shows. Simply go to mattbrownshow.com and plug in your details to be notified of further updates. So without further ado, into John Zeratsky. Broadcasting right here from the bright lights of the Matt Brown Show uh, bedroom. <laughs> uh, but we're live on Facebook, we're live on YouTube, we are live on Twitter. You can get me on at Matt Brown ZA. You can also register on mattbrownshow.com uh, to get access to this live stream as well. Uh, but with me on the line is the man, the legend. <laughs> apparently, uh, that uh, is all the way from Wisconsin, which apparently I don't know where it is. But um, John Zorowski, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, Wisconsin is uh, it's right in the middle of the of the U.S. So there's a lot of really interesting stuff on both sides. Um, so <laughs> I'm not surprised that you don't know where it is. Yeah, exactly. So um, guys, um, if you are watching this, wherever you're watching this on the social web, feel free to comment. My team are on the other end of the line. So this will be an interactive session. We will be taking questions from you towards the end of the uh, of the show. Uh, and stick around as well. We will be giving away some free stuff, by the way, from uh, from old John here. 
and myself. So we're about uh, all about giving here on the Matt Brown Show and empowering you to succeed. So, John, why don't you set this one up for us? Um, we've got raving fans, apparently, which we'll introduce to you later. Uh, but um, but more specifically, why don't you uh, set this up for us? Um, who is John Zarotsky? What's the two-minute story here? Yeah, I'll try to keep it to only two minutes. Uh, my, my life story tends to go on way too long, way longer than anybody really wants to hear. But, uh, now the headline is that I'm a, I'm a technology designer. So I spent almost 15 years working in the tech industry here in the U S. Um, I've written two books, sprint and make time. Uh, I'm a speaker and a facilitator. Um, and my, my thing is helping people make good use of their time helping people structure their time around those things that really matter to them. So um, that could be a team at work who's, you know, they're trying to do something big. They're trying to get a big project off the ground, but they just feel themselves kind of mired in the endless meetings and nonstop email. But it could just be an individual, you know, who's trying to make a change, who's trying to um, focus their time more on their family, on themselves, on a hobby, a quote. Um, and really trying to help people just kind of reset a lot of the defaults about how most of us spend our time so that we can be more focused on the stuff that matters to us. Mm. Yeah, I find um, my team are complaining a lot about, um, you know, given COVID-19 and the remote working situation, um, how many more meetings they're being invited to. And yeah. um, and it's like, and then there was some research that was shared internally because we were all trying to understand how to be as productive as possible, you know, in this kind of new business unusual environment. And so time is all yeah. we all we have. It's our most valuable resource. Um, yeah. And, 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 and how, it's our it's really our only finite resource, right? It's the absolutely. only thing that we can't get more of. You know, if we if we lose money, we we can make more. If if we're if we're you know, tired, we can, we can recharge. If we're weak, we can get strong, but we can't get more time. Yeah, exactly. Um, so how do we tackle this problem of spending time, time well spent? How do we, how do we tackle that? Where do we start? Yeah, I think the most important thing is to start with offense, start by being proactive about what it is you want to make time for. Um, because, so many of our, our days, they are just a series of reactions to things that come in, you know, and, and, and we, we sort of spend most of our time by default. You know, if you think about on a typical day, you wake up in the morning, grab your phone, check email, check messages, maybe look at Twitter or whatever's going on. Um, and then you've got kind of that standard schedule of meetings planned out for you. And, and there's not a lot of time in there to really ever slow down and ask yourself, you know, what do you want? Like, what's most important to you? And so um, I always encourage people to start with that. Start with, um, you know, the thing that they want to be making time for. And, and, and I think it, a key idea here is to start really small. Because if you pick up, you know, let's say you pick up a book about, you know, prioritization or, or productivity or whatever, it's going to lay out this huge system. You know, it's going to lay out this 15-step framework and all these different things, these filing systems and all the stuff you got to set up. And, uh, you know, some people get really into that. And, and I've gotten really into that in my past. Um, but some people can be really intimidated by that. And so, um, you know, I think if you can start really small, we have this idea, my co-author Jake Knapp and I have this idea called the daily highlight. If you can start by asking yourself, what do I want to be the highlight of this day? What is the one thing I want to make sure that I make time for the one thing that I want to 
bring my best attention, my best energy to, that one small thing can make a huge difference in terms of how you perceive your day and how you experience your day. And then I think once you've identified that, the next step is to really start to build your day around it. So to design your day, to not just kind of accept things the way they are, but to realize that most of these default schedules and default meetings are not part of some master plan. You know, it's not Mm -hmm. like this perfectly crafted system. It's just kind of the collection of stuff that's stuck around. And so if you can push back against some of those defaults and you can, you can really craft your day and structure your day around that thing that matters most, um, then you can really feel like each day is your own. And then the, the third, third thing that I, um, always suggest to people when they're just getting started with this is, is then to, you know, when they get to this third step is then to start thinking about defense, you know, and that, and that's when you start thinking about, um, you know, how to avoid distraction and how to stay focused and stuff like that. I think if you do that first, you are, um, you're trying to, you know, it's like dieting, you know, you're, um, you're, you're, cutting off something pleasurable, but you haven't put a new reward in its place. Mm. And so I think if you can give yourself that new reward of that thing you want to make time for, then you can really powerfully start to change some of those bad habits that you might have about getting distracted and wasting time on things that you don't care about. And so um, Jake and I, having worked in the technology industry for a long time, we've got a pretty interesting perspective, I think, about about technology having sort of been behind the scenes. And so we kind of walk people through ways of um, reconfiguring their devices so that they don't have to, you know, exercise willpower and avoid distraction. They can actually take willpower out of the equation, actually make it impossible to get sucked into things. And when you put those together, that sort of that proactive, uh, that offense, and then that defense, um, that's a pretty powerful combination. Yeah, um, it's an interesting one. How does one prioritize uh, tasks and activities? Um, so, as an example, you know, if you if you're being called to literally all day meetings or half day meetings, and so you've only got, let's just say, four hours to execute and be productive. Um, how does one, in your experience and in your research? Um, how does one learn to prioritize? Because I think it's quite easy to go, well, you know, you know, this is what's most important. But actually, when you're when you're time constrained, it actually shines a, a light on on productivity and prioritizing what needs to get done. Um, yeah. And because you know all jobs are not uh, equally important, right? Um, so in terms of time management, spending time uh, well. How does one prioritize properly? What's the best way to do it? I don't know what the best way is. Yeah, okay, you're <laughs> fired. Are, you're out of here. <laughs> Thanks yeah, for attending, there guys. Of, uh, <laughs> there are a lot of frameworks out there. I mean, if you right now, if you go do a Google search for for you know prioritization framework, you're going to find a million of them. You know, there's the the you know the classic sort of important, unimportant, urgent, non-urgent, you know, that kind of thing. Um, there's, you know, short-term, long-term, there's cost-benefit, there's pros and cons, there's a million ways. And all these things are, they're all right. You know, they all work to some extent. Um, there's, a, there's a couple of things that, that I think are kind of missing from that conversation that are, that work really well for me and, and that we've gotten really good feedback on from, from readers. Um, one is to do something that we call stack rank your life. So it's to actually make a list of all the big things going on in your life. So it could be a project. It could be just a responsibility that you have, a role that you have. It could be your role as a, as a parent or as a, as a caregiver. Um, and then rank that list in two ways. Rank it by 
the sort of ideal priority, you know, which one of those things is most important to me and then rank it by the actual priority of how you're really spending your time and look for those deltas, look for the differences between those two rankings. That is a really helpful way to, um, to look at things together. Because I think when we look at one, you know, priority and, and we, you know, one thing that we're supposed to do, one task, one project, it's very difficult to assess the priority of that in isolation. But when we can look at stuff in the context of everything else in our life, then it becomes much easier. It, you know, it's still challenging, but at least you're looking at the big picture. At least you're looking at, at everything you could be spending your time on and you're able to start making decisions. The next thing I think that a lot of people don't do is most people do this planning, this kind of prioritization in abstract. Um, which is, which is good, but I think you very quickly need to move into the tactical aspect of looking at your calendar. And mm. so when I'm, when I'm planning out my day and my week and I'm deciding what to say yes to, um, I'm, I'm literally working in my calendar. So if I say yes to doing a talk, giving a presentation, not only am I going to schedule in that presentation, but I'm going to schedule in all of the time that's necessary to prepare for that presentation. And I call this the iceberg yes, because you're saying yes to the, that peak of the iceberg, that, that glimmering part that's sticking above the surface of the water. But you're also saying yes to everything that is lurking below the surface. And when you, when you think of your, your decisions in terms of, you know, how much time is this actually going to take up? Not just the, the event or the meeting itself, but how much time is this really going to take up? I think then, uh, those decisions become a lot easier to make. Um, the third thing I'll say about prioritization is that we shouldn't be, we shouldn't try to be overly kind of mechanized about it. You know, we shouldn't, mm. we're not machines, you know, this whole conversation about productivity, even the word productivity, it's, it's a measure of industrial output. You know, it's, it's how many widgets can you churn out of a factory? And that's not how humans operate. Um, and I think we can, we can create a machine readable interface for ourselves, which is helpful in some ways, mm. but it's not fundamentally who we are. And so the third piece of advice that I have about prioritization is to trust your intuition. And I think in order to do that, you need to have enough space in your day to, to allow that sort of emergent thinking to happen. You need to have room to, to hear what your, your sort of inner voices and values are saying. And so um, even if it's just something as simple as going for a walk, but, but not having headphones in, you know, not doing anything, not trying to multitask, not trying to, to be, you know, ultra optimized and efficient and filling every single minute of the day, but just giving yourself a little bit of space. I think a lot of clarity can come from those unstructured, unscheduled moments where you realize, you know, that thing that I've been spending time on, that's actually not the most important to me and something else, it kind of feels right. I'm able, able to kind of tap into that intuition and trust that intuition about what I want to be focused on. Mm. Yeah, some great points there. You know, one of the things that um, can be quite overwhelming is trying to actually plan timing, as you say, um, because that in itself is an expense of time. So it's like you're trying to save time, but you need to spend time planning. So it almost becomes a paradox. It's like you're, you're almost, you yeah. know what I'm saying, like, like cutting off your nose to spite your face. And so, um, and so one of the things, um, I've just been on the Amazon page here uh, of your book, by the way, um, going by, um, John's book here, it's very, very cool. Apparently for lots of five star reviews, uh, but you share, <laughs> but you share two concepts. Um, one of those is the busy bandwagon 
and then the other one is the infinity pool. Um, yeah. What are these two concepts? Why, why do they matter in the context of what we're talking about today? Yeah. The busy bandwagon and the infinity pools are two forces that really dominate our time, they dominate our lives. And they, they kind of, they, they pull against us, you know, in, in opposite directions, they pull us in opposite directions. And, um, we wanted to give them names because I think when we give things names, when we, we create vocabulary and language to talk about things, then we can understand it much better. Um, the busy bandwagon is the culture and the set of expectations and norms that the way to be successful, the way to be responsible, the way to be an adult is to be as busy and productive as possible to fill your days to fill your hours, your minutes with, with efficiency, with productivity. Um, you know, it's that, that, you know, the busy bandwagon says when an email comes in an important email, you should, you should respond to it immediately. It says that when you're, um, you should always be multitasking. If you're, if you're going for a run, you should be listening to a podcast. If you're washing the dishes, you should be listening to an audiobook. You should never, you know, you should, you should never allow a minute to sort of go un unused in terms of your own personal development. Um, and then when, you know, when we do have a minute to sort of rest and, and step away from the busyness as, as we need to um, at a physiological level, then we turn to what we call the infinity pools. And these are apps, websites, services that have an infinite supply of content. You can jump back in at any time. There's always more content there. So if you can pull to refresh or if it's streaming, um, that's an infinity pool. And, and these apps and these services, these are everywhere in our lives. They're on our devices. They're, they've been engineered for years to be as seamless and friction-free as possible. So they make it very, very easy to jump in when we're looking for that little break. But the thing is, they're a trick because when we spend our break you know, looking on Twitter, it's not actually a real break. That, that does not allow our brains to, to recover in any meaningful way. And when we turn to you know, uh, using Facebook Messenger to keep up with friends, that's not the same as actually having a conversation, a phone call, a video chat, an in-person chat with that person. Um, and so the, sort of the, the low friction and the kind of seamlessness of these infinity pool apps pulls us away from the stuff that we know that we really care about. So those are those, are those two concepts, and that's kind of how they, they interact with each other. How's it, guys? Just a quick one to say, did you know that due to COVID-19, that the small business sector in South Africa is currently at risk with close to 525,000 formal SMEs locally, employing 6.6 million people. These businesses are at greater risk today than ever before. You know, as a community, we need to do as much as we can to help SMEs succeed and survive during this time. And to this end, I've decided to give away free copies of my number one Amazon bestselling book, You're in the Game Today, which shares the 12 principles that high-impact entrepreneurs, billionaires, and world champion athletes use to overcome the impossible and achieve the extraordinary. If you'd like to get your hands on a copy or maybe share a copy with an entrepreneur that you feel could benefit from this incredible story, please head on over to mattbrownshow.com Hit the You're In A Game link, put in your details, and we'll deliver a digital copy to you instantly. 
And for more information, guys, about the book and more developments around The Matt Brown Show, head on over to mattbrownshow.com. Okay, great. Let's do quote of the day. Yeah. So I've, I've got a quote, but I'm going to tell you a story about the quote first. Hit it. Um, I, I used to live in San Francisco, and I would walk to work every day. Um, and I walked through – on my way to work, I walked through North Beach, which is the famous Italian neighborhood in San Francisco. And in North Beach, there is a famous bookstore called City Lights. And City Lights was kind of the, the epicenter of the beat movement in San Francisco in the 50s and 60s. So um, the, the Allen Ginsberg would hang out there. Jack Kerouac would hang out there. Um, but then the store's still open. City Lights is still open. It's a landmark. It's kind of a tourist attraction these days. And I would walk right past it every single day on my way to work and back home from work. And there's a poster in the window of City Lights that said, everything is its own reward. And I would see that every day. Day after day, I'd see that everything is its own reward. And I would think about it. And it, eventually it became, it almost became kind of a mantra for me. And at the same time, I was starting to, to read about stoicism and kind of understand this idea that um, the things that we see as problems or obstacles can sometimes be opportunities for us. Mm. Um, and, and that just really resonated for me. And it, it kind of began to slowly change how I thought about everything, how I thought about work, how I thought about life, how I thought about, um, you know, my, my health, my overall kind of uh, wellness. And I eventually learned that that quote was not really a quote, but it's the title of a collection of drawings by an artist named Paul Madonna. Um, and his work is amazing. So you should, you should look him up, Paul Madonna. But, uh, but yeah, that's the quote of the day. Everything is its own reward. Hmm. That's an interesting one. Everything is its own reward. Well, yeah, I guess I wonder what the community thinks about that. I've got a few chats, com- uh, questions coming in um, about uh, about this uh, subject, about time management. I've got this one from Facebook. Uh, this one's from David Dorfling. He says, how do you uh, adapt your mind to enable better time management to get the rewards that we really want in life? Um, what do you say to that, John? Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hey there. I know being an entrepreneur can be a very lonely experience. You sometimes get stuck, don't you? Well, if you're like me, being stuck sucks. But what if you could access the minds of over 850 CEOs who have built companies generating billions of dollars in revenue and access all of that knowledge in a fraction of a second? Well, the good news is you can literally do that today. What my team have built is Matt Brown AI. It is trained on all the interviews, over 850 of them that I've done to date, all my books, all the knowledge capital that has been generated over the last 10 years right here on the Matt Brown Show. And you can get access to all of that right now for free. So how do you get access to this? Well, head on over to mattbrownshow.com and at the top you'll see community. Hit that link, sign up, it's absolutely free and you'll be given instant access to Matt Brown AI and a community of over 100,000 subscribers. It's a very deep question. I don't know. I, my, my attitude about ad- adapting the mind tends to, tends to be that we should start by adapting 
our actions um, because our, you know, our actions sort of um, become our reality. The things that we are doing, the things that we're paying attention to, that becomes um, our experience of life. Um, certainly, it's helpful to adopt certain mindsets. So, you know, reading about certain ways of thinking about the world. You know, for example, the quote I just mentioned, you know, and the whole idea of, um, you know, stoicism, that's, that is a very powerful mindset and a helpful mindset. But, um, but at the same time, it, it, mindsets have, have limits unless they're translated into action. And so, you know, if I had to decide between changing your mind or changing your actions, I would say you should focus on changing your actions. You should start there. You should start with, you know, very small, simple, concrete tactics like, what do you want to be the highlight of your day? What's your uh, distraction kryptonite? That one thing that you're powerless to resist on your phone. And can you remove that from your phone? Um, how can you make a small adjustment to your day to block off part of your time for the things that matter to you? And start there. And, and, and I think that um, when you do that and you start to experience those rewards, however small, and you start to realize that those sacrifices are, are much smaller than maybe you thought they were, um, I think that your your mind will begin to adapt in turn. Mm. Um, one of the things that um, I suppose you touched on earlier, very early on, but it was around devices. Um, and uh, if you think about, I mean, just take my business now, we've got, God knows, probably five different software systems that we use to communicate from WhatsApp to Microsoft Teams to Zoom to, you know, and, 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 and. Um, yeah. And uh, that's, that's probably not even the full list. Um, and so, sure. so in, on any given day, I've got my phone ringing, I've got WhatsApps going, I've got SMSs going, I've got I'm video conferencing. You know, pretty much every half an hour, there's, there's a call coming through. Um, and so, inevitably, what happens is is that we lose control, right? We lose control of our of our of of our immediate environment, and even now, uh, like I've got my five year old outside trying to get into the studio door. <laughs> you know what I mean, um, yeah. and we've, we're now in this kind of completely unusual, uh, you know, sort of business environment where there's distraction everywhere we look. Uh, I don't know yeah. whether you saw that BBC video where that guy's doing a live yeah. thing, and then the kid walks in, and the nanny, and all that yeah. kind of stuff, and um, yeah. you know, so and that and that's the that's the truth, right? And so. Um, uh, it's, it's hard to control the environment. It's harder than ever to control the environment. Um, are there any practical ways that, um, that you feel could really add value to our audience today in terms of controlling one's environment from both things like kids to technology? How does one manage an environment in order to have a, a, the most productive day possible? Yeah, well, I will separate that into... Um into those two categories that you mentioned. So, so uh, you know, kind of the environment of the tools that we use mm. and then the environment of the people that we interact with, whether it's the people in your family, kids, spouse, partner, or people that you work with. Um, and I'll start with technology because it's a lot easier. Um, the uh, technology defaults are optimized for making it as easy as possible to jump in. And the key concept here is friction. And this is actually an important concept in the world of, of habit research as well. So the things that are easy to do, we tend to do them more often and things that are hard to do, we do them less often. Um, and so if you want to be less distracted by the technology environment, by the tools that you're using, it's pretty simple, add more friction. So for example, if your phone is constantly blowing up, um, uninstall those apps, 
that are, that are causing all that noise. If you're using five communication tools in your business, maybe try to cut it down to three. If you're finding that you are spending little bits of time throughout the day interacting with these devices and these, these tools, um, schedule blocks of time. So for example, I schedule my, my email time throughout the day. So I have uh, two short blocks in the morning to kind of do a quick check for anything time sensitive, and then a bigger block in the afternoon when I actually kind of go through and process my email. Yeah. So that's the technology side of it. Um, when it comes to the, the sort of the people, and now I, I can't give parenting advice. I don't have kids. Um, so that would be, that would be disingenuous, but I was just having this conversation with my co-author and my friend, Jake Knapp. Um, he's got two sons. He's got a son who's 16 and, and one who's nine. And they, um, you know, as things started to get locked down here in the U S and, and kids were at home, he was, he was really struggling and they were all struggling. The whole family was struggling with this feeling that, that everything in the, the day just kind of mushed together and they, they didn't have time to really focus on those different activities that they wanted to be doing and that they needed to be doing. And so eventually what they did was they, they made a, a schedule as a family. And, um, and I think that the, kind of the key thing there is, is to be inclusive and to involve the people that you interact with, that you live with in the process of making that schedule. So, you know, at some point, you know, kids are, are, are too young or whatever, and it's not going to make sense, but, but if at all possible, you know, have that conversation mm. as a family, when it comes to professional teams, one of the, um, the things that I do when I work with teams on this stuff is have them go through some exercises where they're basically having conversations and making agreements as a team about um, how they're going to communicate, when they're going to communicate, and then how they're going to kind of set up their, their uh, schedule for the week. You know, which days are for meetings, which days are for focused deep work. Um, and so, you know, setting those things up can really help to put some, some structure in place where currently there is no structure, you know, th there's no supports, um, put some supports in, but I think the, the important thing is that you, you do those in a way that's inclusive and in that it's not a top-down mandate of this is how we're going to be spending our time from now on, but it's a conversation with everybody involved. Um, because when you involve people in those conversations then people feel bought into them, um, when, when people have, have a voice in that process, even if it doesn't go their way. You know, even if, if you decide as a leader, you know, I heard you, but I'm going to do it this way. People still feel much, much better about the outcome of that process than if they were left out of it entirely. Yeah. Um, I had an interesting experience on Monday where um, I had no meetings for the first time and I can't even recall. It was very surreal. Yeah. Um, and so I spent pretty much the entire day um, working with my team to kind of get this new version of the show going. Um, and, um, and so I didn't check any email um, and I was only on video conference for the time that I, you know, in terms of engaging with my team around the single-minded uh, deliverable. And, um, yeah. and then I checked my email in the evening at 150 emails, which isn't too bad, but I mean, you know, it's, yeah. still, it's still 150 emails. And then when I went through it, I was like, I've, and I first saw the amount of emails, I was like, damn, shit's hit the fan. You know, something's gone <laughs> south. Um, and, um, and I was like, you know, you feel, like you, you feel anxious. Anxiety yeah. hits you because you feel like you're not uh, connected to your business. Do you understand? Like all the email and the, all the different communication, yeah. all the activities and all the WhatsApp groups. And so you, if you don't know, it makes you nervous about what you don't know. 
And yeah. so that, that's, the, that's the kind of feeling, you know. Um, and so I went through all these 150 emails looking for all the like CEO things I have to fix on any given day. And there wasn't a single one. Like not one. So then, and it, and by the way, it took me, I, and then obviously on teams as well, it gives you analytics around like how many meetings you attend, you know, how, when are you productive? How collaborative are you? How many emails do you read? And I read uh, about 3000 emails a month. Okay. Okay. But now imagine if you're spending all your time, it's like you drip, 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 you yep. take email like all, all day, every day. Um, you, you, you lose so much time doing that. And what I learned literally yeah. on Monday was, was if you if you don't check it, if it's really that urgent, someone will phone you and go, yeah. hey, this is an urgent thing. I need you to respond now. So actually email yeah. is a terrible communication tool. Would you agree with that? I, I wouldn't actually. I think email is an amazing communication tool, but you have to, you have, to have the right way of looking at it. I think that, um, you know, think of the word email. It's electronic mail. It was, you know, at its foundation, the architecture of email, it was designed to be an electronic version of postal mail, right? So you send, you, you put some time into to writing something, you send it, it gets delivered. Eventually somebody gets around to looking at it. They think about it, they process it. Eventually they get back to you, right? It's supposed to be a little bit slow. You know, it's not supposed to be this rapid fire thing, but the way that the tools have been kind of tweaked over the years in order to, to drive certain metrics around engagement and usage is to make it more like a chat tool, but it's not a very good chat tool. You know, it's not, it's not as good as a, as Slack or Microsoft teams when it comes to real time communication. And because it doesn't have any uh, structure put on top of it, it's not as good as a project discussion tool, like something like Basecamp might be. So if we understand it for what it is, I think it's excellent. But um, I think too often we, we try to use it in ways that it wasn't originally designed for. And that's where, that's where a lot of the, the issues come in. Um, but I wanted to say something else about email, which is that this, um, this feeling that you experienced of, you know, whether you check the you know, email at the end of the day or throughout the day, it's the same, it's the same number of emails, right? And it's mm. the same amount of time. Um, but it feels so much, you know, it, 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 it's so much more efficient when you do it all at once. And there's actually been some research on that. So there, there's been some research showing that when people check email less often, not only do they feel less stressed and have more time for themselves, but they actually become better at email. You know, they, mm. they measurably, objectively become more efficient emailers. And it's so ironic because the whole reason that people check email throughout the day is because they're trying to be these, you know, efficient, sort of optimized productivity people. But in reality, you be, you're more efficient, you're more optimized, you're more productive if you let all those emails stack up and, and tackle them all at once at the end of the day. And that's because then you avoid the switching costs. You don't have to jump back and forth between, oh, now I'm doing email, now I'm having a call, now I'm doing email, now I'm trying to write something. You're just in email mode. You're just in kind of that processing mode. Um, and, and when we get into that batch processing mode, we can be super, super efficient about it. Yeah, that's such a great point. Because the other thing was I flew through 150 emails, responded to those things that needed to be responded to. And it took me literally 15, 20 minutes was beautiful. Yeah, that's amazing. I know. You know, when uh, when Jake and I, Jake Knapp and I started working together, it was when we were at Google Ventures, which is a, a venture capital firm funded by Google, and uh, we we came up with this process called the Design Sprint 
that helps teams kind of come together and focus on solutions to, to big problems that they have. And um, one of the, the rules in a design sprint is that when you're in the room, you're in the room. You're not on devices. You're not looking at your email. You're not interacting with anything that's going on outside of that room so that everybody is totally, totally focused. And, um, and, and so we got to see week after week with team after team, we got to see them go through the same kind of uh, revelation that you had. That, like you think if you don't look at your email for a few hours or for a day, that something terrible is going to happen. Um, but, but we, you know, it was kind of cool to actually be able to experience there in real time with people to see their, them sort of go through that realization, like, wow, like the world didn't end, you know, nothing terrible happened. And in fact, you know, a little bit of time is, is good for that kind of stuff. You know, that, that crisis that somebody sends an email about, you know, maybe a couple hours later, they figured out a solution to it. And so you get the follow-up email that says, oh, never mind, I figured it out. So um, we, we definitely uh, got to see that, that sort of realization over and over and over with the teams that we were working with. Um, yeah, it's frightening. I'm actually going to start introducing that for myself moving forward. I highly recommend that you guys at least try it, right? Because that's the other thing as well. I think we get stuck into, as you touched on earlier, the, these habits, right, that don't really serve us. So if, we're trying, if we're trying to say, you know, we've only got so many hours in the day, how best do I spend my time? And I'm doing things like this. I'm wasting my time checking email all day, every day. I'm being interrupted. I'm not in control of my environment. I haven't set clear boundaries with people, you know, that are that may affect my my uh, my environment and my ability to reach my goal, which to, which is to be as productive as possible. Um, you know, if we don't try things, to your point around sprints, you know, it's like a sprint is like you you. Uh, from my understanding, obviously, correct me if I'm wrong here, but a sprint is like we're gonna we're gonna take this new idea to market quickly and test it and see what the what the feedback is from the environment, from the customer, from the marketplace and then we're going to you know make changes and adapt as we move forward you know and so i think yeah. oftentimes we just don't try we don't try and switch off email do you understand like we don't we don't yeah. set the expectation in fact i've got this client who's the cmo of a big telecoms company and uh, and we just did a huge deal with them uh, actually earlier today but um, but she's terrible on email like she like don't bother like, don't expect a response. Like, if you want to talk to her and you want to actually engage with her, she has a preferred communications channel, which is uh, the WhatsApp. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, so, and so we just don't try to change our, uh, our systems for managing our time. Um, and, so, yeah. and so data is a fantastic way to, um, to start that change that process of change. Um, and so yeah. I mentioned productivity um, uh, earlier on. Are there any great productivity tools that you've seen that you feel can provide an insight in terms of, you know, where am I spending my time? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, am I spending, you know, 72% of my time on email and only 10% productive? You understand? Like, to be able to look at the data objectively and go, yeah. this is where I'm going wrong. Uh, are there any productivity tools that do that job? The short answer is no. I've, I've seen a lot. I've heard of a lot. Um, but the challenge with all of them is that they – they don't have a complete view of everything that you're doing. You know, they, they'll be like, you know, you have uh, screen time or, or sort of the digital well-being features on your phone and it'll tell you how much time you're spending on your phone. But it's very difficult to determine was that a good use of time or was it not? You know, there's, um, there's tools that will analyze, you know, meetings that you're having, you know, and that's fine too. But it's like, 
you know, it only looks, it only has, you can, it can only tell you about the data that it has access to. So I tend to think that the, the most powerful tool for, for getting this kind of data is actually just, just self-reflection, personal reflection, um, and spending a little bit of time, um, looking back at how you actually spent your day. And, and like you said, it, it feels a little bit weird because you have to, you have to spend some time to make some time. Um, you've got to, you know, you've got to slow down so that you can, you can go fast later. Um, but, but I think it's worth it. I think, um, you know, it's funny, we're so used to being analytical and critical in our businesses. You know, when we do postmortems and retrospectives and we're used to kind of having this attitude of like, I'm going to be data driven. I'm going to like, you know, you know, carefully kind of break down everything that we did and figure out what's working and track conversion funnels and all this stuff. Mm. But then when it comes to our time, we kind of treat it as this thing that we can't touch, you know, like it's, it's hidden to us, but that's totally not true. You know, if we, if we simply go back um, and we, we look at our calendar and we, we do a bit of reflection, writing down, you know, what did we want to make time for? What did we actually make time for? How did we feel? You know, how focused were we? How much energy did we have? Um, that can be really helpful. And, 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 and the, the final thing I'll say about that is um, I've never done this personally, but I, I do know quite a few people who have done uh, time tracking, personal time tracking. And so that is... Um, basically a tool and I don't know any of the, the names of the tools, but, but I'm sure it's an easy Google search, but um, there's a tool that you, you basically have running on your computer and on your phone and every like 15 minutes or 30 minutes, it just, it just pings you and it asks, what are you doing right now? How are you spending your time? And so it's self-reported data. Um, but it's, you have these reminders to make sure that you're, you're reporting it in real time, uh, so that you're being honest and you're being accurate about it. And then you can set up categories, you know, I was doing client work versus doing, you know, self-care doing, you know, whatever. Um, and then you can kind of build your own data sets over time. So, so that, that's one that I haven't personally tried, but I know a lot of people have had success with it, but, but I guess the kind of the bigger picture is I think, I think, you know, taking ownership of that and doing it as a personal exercise is really the key because of most of the tools that I've seen, they just don't have, they, they can't have a complete picture of how you're actually spending your time. Yeah. Uh, funnily enough, I've um, got a question here from, from Bradley Reynolds on Facebook. Uh, thanks for your question, Bradley. He says, joined this a little late. Ha ha. Ironic. <laughs> well, and that's, <laughs> Sorry. you know, I, I, uh, I, Get reactions like that um, a lot, and and I actually think that that being punctual and being you know sort of rigid about your time, I think that is a different a different skill. It's a different discipline than using your time well. You know, mm, I think mm. you know there, there's classic stories, cliches about you know the the artists and inventors and entrepreneurs who have made the biggest impact on the world. You know, there's there's cliches, legendary stories about how disorganized they are, about how their their lives are a mess. They're you know they're always late. They're slow to respond, right? And so I think that that's a separate issue from um, you know, are you on time? You know, did you, mm. you said it was going to take sixty minutes? Did it take sixty minutes? Um, and I think we get we get really wrapped up in that stuff, you know. And and for some reason we assume that that's how we're going to be successful. That that's the secret, but I don't actually think it is. Mm. 
So his question here is actually around balance. He says, in other words, um, he says, how can we measure what's useful, important time versus wasted time? I think he kind of he kind of touched on it. Um, what what what's your answer to that one? Useful, important time versus wasted time. I think it just comes from how we feel. You know, yeah. I don't think we should measure it. I think um, I think we know. I think if you look back on your your schedule for the day and what you did, you've got a good sense of it. I think if you if you take time to do an exercise like a, a stack ranking in your life, like I mentioned, mm. you know you know what what a good use of time is. Um, and sometimes things that may look like wastes of time, you know, going to you know play with the dog or you know going to go for do a crossword puzzle or you know things like this that you know sure they're not they're not productive, but you know when it's the right thing for you. You know when it's good for you. And so I don't think we should overthink it. Again, that's that sort of that distinction between being being a human and being a machine. Um, you know, I don't think we should we should necessarily uh, try to measure everything. I think we should we should trust our intuition. We should empower our intuition to tell us um, which which things are good uses of time and which things aren't. Are you listening to the audio version only of this podcast? Well, if you are, you can also now join the live broadcast experience on any of our social media channels. That's YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Simply plug in Matt Brown Show on YouTube, Matt Brown ZA on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And please, guys, do us a favor. If you have been following the show, which I know many of you have been doing, head on over to iTunes, guys, when you have a minute and leave us a review. It would be great to get feedback from you directly on the show and it would also help us to reach more entrepreneurs all around the world. Okay, cool. So I'm going to open this up to um, a raving fan. I mentioned this raving fan uh, earlier. I don't know. I literally don't know why she's a raving fan uh, outside of just this conversation. I can maybe connect the dots there. Uh, But her name is Chloe. Um, and I'm going to, she works for me so that my team were like, oh, Chloe knows this guy. He's, she's a raving fan. So anyway, so I'm going to give her a shout. Uh, she is waiting to, um, to speak with you. So here we go. She's also listening to the live stream. <laughs> uh, Chloe, how's it going? Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I have your um, your favorites with me on the line. Uh, do you have a do you have a question? Well, firstly, why are you a raving fan? And then uh, why didn't you hit John with your yeah, question? Yeah, what possible explanation um, is there? Uh, to me, like I've read both the Sprint book and Make Time. A lot of it is just it's informed me because I'm new in the working world, so a lot of it was just to help me understand like what am I getting into? How can I do better? And a big thing for me, like. As a student uh, throughout high school and university, I always struggled with time management. So it was a bit like it was really important for me to read the book, and I really just enjoy your perspective on things. It's very different to like the norm. So um, the biggest question I have is: so when I read your book, May Time, I started skipping my daily check-in in the morning. So skip the morning check-in would help me a lot. But now because like we're all working from home. I have more anxiety and I'm like, I need to know what's going on. I need to see my phone when I wake up. I don't know if you're experiencing the same thing at home or what you would recommend from your book to carry on with skipping the morning check-in or how can I deal with it now with the change of environment and yeah, how can I go forth from here? Yeah, that is a really good question and it's definitely something that I have been um, 
I've been struggling with as well. And I've heard from a lot of people that are struggling in the same way. And I think there's, um, you know, when we think about the news and wanting to know what's going on in the world, there's kind of two categories. There's the stuff that we need to know on a, on a practical basis, you know, changes to regulations or things that are canceled or closed or rules or whatever that we just, we need to know. Um, and that stuff, you know, it, it feels like we, we need to pay attention all the time in order to, to get those things. But the reality is that even though they feel like they're changing very quickly, they're, you know, we can usually get away with checking once a day or once every couple of days, and we're probably not going to miss out on some, you know, really important practical piece of information that is going to actually affect what we do day to day. Um, the other category of news that I see uh, in, in myself and in others is kind of a, it's a, it's a desire or a motivation that comes from a place of compassion, you know, and it comes from really wanting to understand what's going on with people. You know, it's that, that primal desire that we have for, for stories, you know, and for human connection. And so I think that is, I think that's great. I think that's a, a wonderful impulse, but, but again, we don't need, we don't need to, to mainline that, you know, we don't need to get that uh, on a 30 minute interval. Um, and so what I think you should do and what I think you should try is, uh, is you should try to kind of make a plan for yourself, make a news plan. And you should, um, your plan should have a time of day, um, you know, or, or kind of a schedule. Maybe it's, maybe it's every couple of days. Maybe it's, it's a couple times per day. Um, it should have a, a place, a physical place. And it should have like a sort of a technology component to the plan. So, so where are you going to check the news um, on what devices, on what apps, how often, um, and, and construct that plan, design that plan in a way so that you're going to, you're going to get what you need. You know, you're going to get enough information so that you don't feel anxious so that you feel like, okay, I know what's going on. I'm good. Now I can turn my focus to everything else, but, um, but, but, but limit it there, you know, don't let it kind of take over because the, um, news apps and services and websites and, and television news, those things are just as kind of engineered as um, things like Twitter and Instagram are in terms of, um, you know, kind of pushing our buttons and, and kind of sucking us in. So if there's not a plan, if there's not a constraint around it, it will expand. It will take over more and more of your time. But for me personally, um, after a bit of experimentation, so, well, what, what, let me first say that what I used to do before the, the COVID crisis was I read the news every week. So only once a week, I would read uh, The Economist magazine. Um, and that was like, that was like my, my sort of summary of the whole week's news, everything going on, both in the US and internationally. And then I would, you know, I would get little tidbits here and there. I would get, you know, my, my wife would tell me things, friends would tell me things, you know, I'd see stuff on Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever. Um, but really, my news time was, was once a week reading The Economist. I felt like I needed to change that. And so what I've adjusted that to lately is that I read um, the New York Times, um, so more of a you know, U.S. focus, and, um, and I read it every day at lunch, and that's it. And I, have, um, I don't have it on my phone, and I use um, Freedom, which is a, a website blocker. I have that installed on my computer, so I can't get to the New York Times website. But I read it on an iPad. I've got an iPad that I've had for years that I don't really use for too much, and so I've got the New York Times app <laughs> installed on there. And so every day when I'm sitting down eating lunch, 
I read the news. And so it's got a clear kind of beginning, a clear end. It's got that place uh, at, you know, at the table. It's got, my, it's got the technology. So it's this device, it's this app, it's this source. And I feel like for me, that gives me what I need. That gives me what I want. Um, and then there's a clear end to it. So when I'm done, um, I put it away and I don't look until the next day. So that's how I'm approaching it. And, and hopefully you can come up with a, a news plan of your own. Mm. It's um it's interesting what she said there around working from home and and how she's uh, you know even as a student uh, the anxiety levels have even accelerated to a degree um and uh, it's it, the, I think to your point around what you pay attention to I think it's a case of saying it's like if you when you get when you when I don't know how you've experienced uh, life, but if, in my experience, it's it's if you, you you're only really enveloped in doubt and anxiety about the future when you're not paying attention to what's ma- what truly matters today, or right now in this moment. Um, yeah. And you know, as you say, there's news and all these other things. It just it's like it's overwhelming the information access that we have now. Podcasting is another one, right? Um, it's just another just another medium. Um, and so, and so, what you pay attention to really matters. And what I found quite, quite interesting is that you almost need to treat yourself like you're a young child. You know, <laughs> it's like no, you can't access the web at this time. You know what I mean? Like, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Like you can't absolutely. access these sites during this time because that's what's going to, you know, um, affect uh, your productivity yeah. levels and ultimately your anxiety. I mean, one a friend of mine actually on his phone. You know, you can group apps on an iPhone. So yeah. he's he's literally put all social media into an, a grouped app called Time Suck. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. remind so him. A little bit of a reminder. That, yeah. Well, here's what's going to happen if you open these apps. Yeah, cool. Let's uh, play a game of Injustice League. <laughs> right. So, uh, John, what is one injustice that you see in the world today? Yeah, it's a pretty heavy question. Um, but uh, I, all right, perhaps this is going to be a, a very timely answer based on what's going on in the world now. But but I, one injustice that I see is that um, we, and this is, you know, this is perhaps US centric, but, but it, we all benefit from public institutions and services that are available. And I, you know, I'm a very privileged person, very fortunate person, but I went to a public university. Um, you know, I went to public high school, public grade school, um, primary, secondary school. Um, but I, but there, there seems to be a, a tendency to, to undervalue those things. And especially at times of crisis when, when we need them most. And so I see that as a, a big injustice, the, the kind of the shared, institutions and those collective resources that we have to to help us all no matter how um, fortunate or unfortunate we are um, those things um, they they tend to um, be the you know the the first to get cut or the first thing to to suffer when times get hard and so that I see that as, as a big injustice that I would I would like to see change in the future Okay. Uh, sorry, I got one more question from the chat line here. They say in your book, there is a reference to Jay-Z, uh, a distraction-free phone uh, that restores a feeling of quiet throughout my day. Okay, I've got no idea what this is. This is why I love doing these live shows. Uh, and the question <laughs> is, please, can we see the Jay-Z iPhone? Is it as empty as in the book? 
Yeah. That's yeah, totally. Facebook. Okay. So um, distraction-free phone is the idea that, okay, so I was talking about the infinity pools, right? So mm -hmm. any app that you can pull to refresh, anything that streams, anything that's got an infinite supply of content, um, the things that tend to be really addictive, really distracting, really, uh, those time sucks, you know, those things that it's very hard for us to, to control. Um, and a distraction-free phone is a phone that has no infinity pools installed on it. Um, my my co-author, my friend, Jake Knapp, he, um, he came up with this concept back in 2012 in sort of a, a moment of frustration when he was, he was playing with his kids, but um, he was on his phone and his son asked him, hey, dad, why are you looking at your phone? You know, like, what are you doing? Um, and, and in that moment, Jake kind of freaked out and he, he uninstalled like basically everything from his phone. Um, but but he, he found that it really made a huge difference in terms of how he felt every day and how he was able to spend his time every day. So he eventually convinced me to do it. And so, uh, and by the way, I'm Jay-Z in the book. That's, right. that's me, John Zabatsky. Um, and, uh, and so anyway, since 2014, I've had also a distraction-free phone. I switched to Android somewhere along the line, but, um, but this is my phone. And um, this is the home screen of my phone. So there's no infinity pool apps there. Sorry, I, I've got manual focus, so it might be a little blurry. No, no, it's fine. Um, but uh, but the, there's actually one that if, if anybody's really looking closely, they, they might think I'm, I'm hypocritical because I've got this. Um, it says mail, and that's actually just a shortcut. All that does is it's a, a little composed window so that I can send myself an email. <laughs> this is a little reminder or note. Um, but so that's my, as my home screen. And then this is on Android, you get a this drawer with all the apps and, um, I don't have any, like no Twitter, no Facebook, no Instagram, mm. no LinkedIn. Um, I don't even have email on my phone. I don't have any games on my phone. Um, at the moment I've got Google Chrome, um, enabled somewhere around here. Although I often turn that off as well. Um, my perspective with my phone is that I want to make it, um, is sort of a magical futuristic tool that does all the things that kind of got me excited about technology in the first place. So like the fact that I can download any book in the world in like five seconds to the Amazon Kindle app, that was amazing. Um, I can jump off the airplane, uh, not these days, so I'm not, not traveling anywhere, <laughs> but in general, I can jump off the airplane, have a map to wherever I am, you know, instantly. Um, we've got the, you know, Uber app, uh, you know, you, you push a button on your phone and a car comes to pick you up. You know, that's pretty magical. Um, controlling the music that's playing in my house, listening to amazing podcasts, you know, the, the world's music available at, 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 you know, at a fingertip. I try to really kind of uh, you know, set up the environment of this device so that it's focused on those things, those things that really make me feel good, those things that help me do the stuff that I want to do. Instead of having it be all about the things that, that make me feel bad, the things that, that pull me in, that suck me in, that, that take up my time, that distract me. Um, and so that's, that's what the distraction-free phone is all about. Awesome. Austin answered. Thanks, guys. Uh, so let's uh, play a quick game of uh, rapid fire. So, John, uh, where are you terrible at time management? Uh, where am I terrible? I'm probably, I'm still really bad with like um, creative projects because I'm, I'm kind of a perfectionist. And so I'm, my estimates are always wrong. So if I think, if I think it's going to take four hours to do something, 
it's probably going to take eight. <laughs> if I think it's going to take a week, it's probably going to take two weeks. And so um, I'm, I'm trying to learn, but I'm terrible at estimating and managing my time around like big creative projects. All right, cool. And uh, if you could get into a time machine and go back to yourself when you were a 21 year old and give, your one, give yourself one piece of advice about life, what would that be? I think that I would, um, I think I would tell myself that it's, that it's okay to take risks and that it's okay not to specialize. Um, you know, I, I grew up in a pretty, the area that I grew up in is pretty, pretty conservative. You know, people tend to go into traditional careers. And so, you know, it was, it was, it didn't come naturally to me, this idea of taking risks. Um, and, and, you know, and a lot of the sort of quote unquote successful, responsible adults that I knew when I was growing up, growing up, they were, you know, they were lawyers and doctors and very, very specialized fields. And so, um, I, I have found as I've, as I've, you know, grown older as an adult that, that when I try things, take risks, they're usually, you know, nothing bad happens really. Um, because they're not, you know, the risks that I take are not, they're not, you know, my, I'm not risking my life. Um, but the, also like the, the more that I sort of generalize, the more I allow myself to learn about lots of different things, um, the, the better I find that I'm able to do because I'm able to, to kind of combine different, different perspectives. Um, and so that's, that's probably what I w- would have shared with my, my 21 year old self. What book have you gifted the most? Other than make time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Eh? Probably not the right question to ask an author. <laughs> no, it's all right. Actually, I'll tell you the book that I have probably recommended well, so I don't know if this is the one I've recommended the most, but it's, it's the one that is like the, the sort of most, um, un, it's like, a, it's not a commonly recommended book and it's called Wrapped, R-A-P-T. And it came out like, uh, maybe like 12, 15 years ago by the, this author named Winifred Gallagher. And it's about something that you and I were talking about earlier, which is um, this idea that, that what you pay attention to kind of defines your reality. So, um, you know, if you're, if you're constantly in your email, you know, your reality is going to be about, you know, sort of frantically reacting. If you are constantly reading the news, your reality is going to be about, you know, all the, all the bad, you know, terrible things going on in the world. Um, and this book is, is wrapped. It's both about her personal experience in going through, a, she was diagnosed with, with cancer and, and recovered, um, but also all of the research from psychology about how what we pay attention to really defines our reality. Hmm. Is this the one attention in the focus life? Winifred yeah. Gallagher. Yeah, it's kind of a, I don't know why it's not more popular. It is, it is for me, it's been one of the most influential books in terms of my life. Um, and how I, how I view, um, you know, what I, what I choose to spend time on and pay attention to, but it, it hasn't, it's not a super popular book. Mm. Well, I mean, it's got a 107, four star, four or five star reviews. So that's not bad. That's not bad. Yeah, it's but, not bad. Although it's, you know, it's no, uh, like, uh, I think James Clear's Atomic Habits has like 4,000 reviews. So, <laughs> you know, it's, it's relatively speaking, it's a, kind of a, a sleeper. Yeah. 
No, that's great. Cool. So let's wrap this up, uh, John, just cognizant of time here. Um, so we've got a couple of gifts for our audience. Uh, if you are listening to us on the podcast and you missed the live show, that's fine. Um, you can always go and, and get the stuff um, after the fact. So, John, what, let's, uh, let's move on over to you. What are you giving away to our audience today? Yeah. So if you want to take what we've been talking about and put it into action, if you want to get started with this make time framework, I put together some, some gifts. You go to maketime.blog slash Matt Brown. I've got a collection of um, resources and things that are usually only available to people who, who buy the book or people who participate in our online course. So there's some, uh, there's a couple of bonus chapters. There's a bunch of bonus tactics. There's some interviews that I've done, the, the audio recordings of those interviews um, that are only available to, you know, to people who, who kind of claim this, this gift. And then also there's some templates that you can use. If you're interested in trying this idea of reflection that we talked about, of, of doing a, a bit of, you know, kind of a look back every day at how you're spending your time, there's some templates that we put together that you can download, that you can print off, that you can use to pay attention to what you're spending time on and, and come up with, with tweaks and different tactics that you want to try in the future. So that's at maketime.blog slash Matt Brown. Okay, great. Um, and so guys, also from, from my side, if you are interested, you can get a copy of my uh, book here, You're in a Game. This one, this all, all here book here. Uh, number one bestseller on Amazon, guys. And uh, in the context of COVID-19, this book has never been more relevant. Uh, so I am giving away a copy for free. All you need to do is head on over to mapbrownshow.com, hit the uh, Your Inner Game link, and the book will be yours. All you have to do is plug in some of your data. So John, thank you so much for your time, dude. It's been an absolute privilege and honor to chat to you. Um, and, yeah, thanks uh, for having me, Matt. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, and thanks so much for our online audience. It's been fantastic. And this is Matt signing out. John, I'll catch you on the other side, buddy. Thanks for listening to the Map Brown Show, guys. Don't forget, you can catch me on all social media platforms for the latest updates, news, and a show history. So if you've been catching this on the podcast, please head on over to our YouTube channel and pound that subscribe button. It would be great to catch the video version there. And if you want a free copy of my number one Amazon best-selling book, you're in a game for free right now today. You can grab that on mattbrownshow.com forward slash ebook. Ever wanted to become a best-selling author? Well, I'm in the influence business and I work with business owners and CEOs and business leaders to help them scale their influence. And we do this as a team by helping you to become a best-selling author, sought-after speaker and industry influencer in only 30 days. My team and I have developed a system that delivers a best-selling book and a launch campaign 300% faster and 50% less cost than anyone else in North America. This system is incredibly efficient. One of my clients haiku went from a 2% share of voice globally to an 11% share of voice globally in only seven days. If you'd like more information, head on over to showworksmedia.com for more. That is showworks with an x.com.